Welcome to the Dirt to Dollars podcast. Hosted by Central Kentucky Extension agents, Whitney Carmen, Daniel Carpenter, and Matt Adams. Where we talk everything from the dirt on your land to the dollars in your hand. Welcome back to Dirt to Dollars. How are you all? Pretty good. How about you? I feel like a stranger. We uh, spent, I've been out a few weeks, if you haven't noticed. So. There's no strangers around here. Nope. <laughs> Stranger danger. <laughs> I guess main thing to talk about today, I don't know about you all, but did you all get any rain in this last little rain event? Yeah, it did. Didn't get anything. And I was so disappointed because they were talking it up. Like they were like, oh, the rain chances are getting better. They're getting better. You know, uh, <laughs> that's usually when you're going to miss it. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of, I knew they were talking like it wasn't going to be a lot of rain, but I didn't really want a lot. I just wanted some. Just give me some rain. Just give me some water. I think we only had like not even a tenth in at home. And I think that was about the way it was here in Litchfield. And it started out good. I actually texted you on. I was like, it's raining here. And then it quit. I was disappointed. Yeah. I think I had, I had more water from the dews than I got from the rain. (laughs) Seems like it was kind of hit and miss. I'd heard some two or three tenths totals, but yeah, I think I had half a tenth or something. And then even around the state, you know, heard some, uh, even in Western Kentucky, some of those dry areas down there getting over an inch. Uh, yeah, it heard did some go south, east of here getting over an inch. I think they had some severe weather in Middle Tennessee out of it. So maybe uh, if it's raining somewhere, that means it'll eventually rain again anyway, right? Yeah. And also, I think. According to Jeff Lemcooler here, we're actually going to hear from later in the show, a little excerpt from him at the Cattleman's meeting this week about hay hay storage and and stretching the hay supplies. But according to him, Lexington's drier than we are. And I didn't really, like I've been up there a few times and I didn't really realize it, but I think he's right. I mean, they're, they're drier than we are here. And uh, so we, we've been, you know, a little luckier than some, but uh, we, we still, we need some water. I had heard, talked to some people up in that area that I think the last measurable rain some of them had was like the second or third week of June. Or not June, August. August. I was going to say, wow. Yeah, because we had a pretty decent July and August. But then, yeah, yeah, they're going probably closer to, you know, 50-something days. And I think we're almost to 40 days here without really getting anything of note, you know, of any measurable amount of rain. So, well, um, and – it's allowing the harvest to get done, I think, for a lot of folks. But it's it is kind of it's like golly, you see the the dust flying everywhere. It's it's dry. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, the pastures are starting to look rough. Yeah. Um, we've that's they've gone downhill really quick. And uh, Matt, I mean, you I think you're kind of mentioning it earlier, but this frost or actually we had a freeze, right? Yep. I, I had, had a freeze. Twenty seven five at my house. Yep. So. That zapped a lot of weeds and a lot of of, uh, some kind of grassy looking stuff that we may have in the pasture field and the hay fields, but all that stuff is brown now and uh, you're really seeing what grass you cut. Yeah, we think we we thought we had all kinds of grass and then the the frost came along or freeze came along and zapped that crabgrass and goose grass and stuff like that. And it's Mm -hmm. a little scary what's left. Yeah, it's not, not a lot. And I know there's some concern about how this grass may survive the winter. 
Uh, if we don't get rain soon, or, or even if we were to get rain soon, it's not necessarily going to grow oh, us a lot done. more forage. It's pretty much done as these it's days done. get shorter. And as uh, and I think actually Dr. Limcooler will talk about that briefly, but it's it's just going to be too little too late, I'm afraid. And uh, but it could help survival through the winter. So, um, you know, help help uh, energy storage and that kind of stuff that helps those those plants make it. Because when you add stress and if we were to have a stressful winter, that's uh, that's not, not a good combination. So hopefully, hopefully we can get a little water. I think we've got another chance this weekend. So maybe, maybe we can get some then. Well, you keep, uh, referring to stuff that Dr. Limcooler talks about. Do you want to just go on and roll into his segment? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so yeah, so I don't, we don't have a formal introduction for him, but, uh, we do, here's an excerpt from, uh, Dr. Jeff Limcooler, uh, University of Kentucky beef extension specialist, uh, talking about, uh, hay storage and, uh, stretching the hay crop. It's getting really, really dry out there. So one of the challenges that, you know, we're not going to have is we're not going to have any of this kind of good grass growth when we, if you're spring calvers, fixing to wean these calves off. So cows are probably not going to rebound like they normally would after you wean them. So you want to make sure and monitor body condition score on your cows as you get ready to pull those calves off. And make sure when we get into this kind of first 30 to 45 days after weaning, if we don't have some grass growth, which I really don't think we're going to, because we're getting too short of days, we're getting kind of too cold um, temperature wise, that your forage growth is really going to slow down. And so just be mindful of that on these on these fall calvers or spring calvers. And then also on your fall calvers, they, they're going to go into a time frame if, if we're calving September, October kind of calving windows. Remember that they're going to peak out and have their highest milk production and their highest nutrient needs about six to eight weeks after they calve. So if you're looking at an October 1 cow dropping a calf, she's going to be peaking out at what? 1st of December. And so she's going to be relying a lot then on the hay quality that you all have got for her to meet those nutrient needs at her highest need time frame. So be sure to work with Daniel to think about a forage testing program and, and get those hays kind of matching up to the stage of production. Fall calvers, you're going to want to feed your best quality hay first and save your poorest quality hay toward the end of the winter typically because that lactation curve begins to come down and that cow doesn't need as much. But I always try to tell guys to think about saving some of that best quality hay to creep feed those calves with because at that point in time, then that calf is five, six, seven months of age, it's relying mostly on whatever hay quality is out there to meet its nutrient needs. And so putting up a little creep area where you got some good grass hay with maybe a little bit of clover in that was second, third cutting, give it to those calves to try and give them a little bit of boost on nutritional plane and not rely so much on this $300 feed. So if you can think about doing your hay test this year, it's going to have a pretty good value to, to try to minimize the input costs on some of our feeds. On the flip side, I would say don't get so penny tight that you start losing production because if you look at the cattle futures and you look at where we're, we're trending, there's still optimism in the market. Even though corn is what, seven bucks, 6.93 to seven bucks on the, on the uh, contracts, just under $14 for beans. Um, 
The feeder cattle market looks strong and it's showing strength as we go through the next few months into next year. And so there's been discussion that we could see $2 calves next fall. Now, again, that's all subject to what's going to happen with the economy and, and the global economy and some of those things. But you don't want to pinch two pennies, pinch pennies too tight as you go through the winter time and lose production and, and have cows that are coming up open because that gets too costly. So I'm going to open it up first. Questions you got? All right, education program done. <laughs> Let's rock and roll. It's the kind of meetings I like to do. Um, and then in all seriousness, uh, if you've got questions, you know, now's, now's a good time to be thinking about them asking. Y'all have heard me talk enough times that um, the story doesn't really change. It's the same thing. Um, it, it's one of those issues where you just really do need to pay a little more attention to these cows as we come into the winter and uh, be mindful of that forage quality this year. I can't stress that enough. Um, let's see if I can get this thing to work. Here we go. So what some options that you have, you got buy and hay. We were talking about this earlier this evening. Um, there is still a lot of hay out there, and now's the time to buy it rather than March, February, because as everybody figures out, maybe the hay supplies are a little tighter than what they thought. Um, that it's going to be worth a little bit more. Um, call your cows. Call the bulls. If, you, if you've got some cows that are kind of bottom enders, Now's the time maybe to be thinking about getting them. Pound cows are pretty good money yet, right? Anybody sold any colt cows lately? What'd you get? 79 cents. Yeah. Yep. So that, that 80 cent market to 85 cent is uh, where these cows are coming in at. So, I mean, it's a pretty strong market if you've got some bottom end cows. And a 1,400 pound cow is going to eat about 40 pounds of hay a day. So... You know, that's a, that's a way to get rid of some of uh, those cows that are bottom enders. Early weaning, and again, this gets back to where we're really past that window of early weaning. So thinking about early weaning, your fall-born calves could be an option for you um, if hay begins to get tight and moving those calves a little bit earlier. Markets are going to depend a little bit on what um, the western wheat crop looks like. You know, they've been dry out there. And so if there's not a, a lot of quote-unquote wheat that comes up for uh, wheat pasture cattle, I don't know what the big impact that's going to be on our, on our kind of five, four to five weight calves that you might wean off in February that would typically go out there and get put out on wheat pasture. So um, just watch what happens in Oklahoma, Kansas, and those areas with the weather and, and kind of keep an eye on what uh, wheat pasture uh, conditions look like. Minimize your storage losses, uh, minimize your hay feeding losses. We'll go through more of those things here in a minute. Feed substitutions. How close are you to distillery? Right? Pretty close. Pretty darn close, right? If you can handle it and, and you can manage working with each other a little bit to maybe share loads and some of that, um, there's some opportunities there. We've got some pubs on the stillage. I'm actually on, what is today, Tuesday? Thursday, we're going to do a little bitty trial where we're going to try and mix some stillage with some ground hay and then store it and see if we can't get it to store a little bit um, through the winter to try and take advantage of the stillage. Stillage, the problem with it is it's 92% water, 
And so, um, you know, you're trucking a lot of water. So you can't go more than probably about 20 to 30 miles and hauling that stuff. But uh, then you also don't want to be getting it every day and, and hauling it every day. So we're going we're gonna to set up with just a little demo and, and see if we can't take and, and find a way maybe to store some of this, mixing it with hay. Yeah. How are you going to mix stillage and hay to keep it? So 92% water. Yeah, so it's it's a um, it's why it's called research, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we're we're doing we're doing a pilot batch. So we're just going to put it in in a six. So your your plastic bags that y'all put silage and high moisture corn in is a six mil plastic. And I'm going to go find some six mil garbage bags, and we're going to mix this stuff up in a mixer, and then we're going to put it in these these <coughs> trash cans. And I'm going to take and I'm going to pull that down just like what we would expect to see in an ag bag. And we're going to start there. And if that seems to work, then we'll think about expanding that up and out. Years ago, when, um, when the second round of the ethanol boom kicked in in the first part of the 2000s, there were groups that would come around and they would grind up hay. They had a big old tub grinder on a semi and they would grind up hay and they would mix syrup and they would take and, and mix that syrup up in one day. So you'd have tankers of syrup, and you'd have this massive hay grinder there, and they would be processing the hay, putting it in a big TMR mixer, adding the syrup, and then unloading that into your ag bagger, and it would basically keep through the winter. Our colleagues in South Dakota, North Dakota, or uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, where it gets a little colder, they were putting it in bunker silos. And so they were grinding it, mixing in TMR, and then just pushing it up into a bunker silo and packing it and then covering it. And what they found is that would keep through the wintertime because it's cold and you get a little spoilage, but not a lot. And they, they could actually get through the winter and feed it through the winter. And so you could basically process all your winter hay in, in a couple of days where you're bringing in tanker loads of, of syrup and, and have that big hay grinder there. So my thought is, is that we'll follow that model, but with stillage. And there is only going to be a certain amount of steelage I'm going to be able to add before it's not, the hay's not going to absorb any more of it, right? And so I don't know what that level is, so that's one part of the research to find out. The other part is then is add salt. Because in, in my earlier work that I did at Princeton, and, and other people have shown this too, is if you scatter just a little bit of salt on top of wet distiller's grains, it will keep the mold from growing down on it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to add about 3% salt into the steelage and mix that in with the hay. And my hope is then that that will get distributed in the hay and keep some of the mold growth down. So we'll see. I don't know. That's why it's called research. And we're just doing little pilot trash cans to start with. And if that seems to work, then we'll scale it up the next time. Um, remember that cow's going to eat 35 to 40 pounds of hay a day. And I don't know what hay is costing. You know, I think 70 bucks a ton is on the cheap side, but I have seen it on Craigslist list this fall for this price. Um, I looked up some of the hay markets across the U.S. Most areas of the country, Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, etc. Uh, good grass hay is running anywhere from like 120 to, to almost $200 a ton. So what does that mean? <laughs> I'm not sure that a lot of our producers really know what they've got in their hay crop from a cost standpoint. Earlier in the spring, um, I heard Dr. Toich say that there was approximately $70 a ton in fertilizer value in hay. 
and that's back when you know you were looking at a thousand dollars for potash, a thousand dollars for um, urea. It's come down a little bit, but potash is still up there around eight, nine hundred dollars a ton, and urea is down what about eight hundred bucks a ton. But the point on that is, is you know you're looking at a buck and a quarter a day when we talk on uh, mineral. Um, the market value, you know, I, I don't know. Um, this is this is a little bit dated, but if we were to project and go through. Um, we're looking at 80 cents a cow, you know, right now, but when everybody starts weaning calves off, what we typically see in the fall is all these open cows hit the market and then the market tends to trend down. Um, I think this is going to stay strong and, and I don't think it's going to hit down in the 60s. I think you're still going to see it up in the 70s. And the reason for that is because of the high price of beef in our markets. I just looked at the uh, retail meat. Um, uh, listing today. We have ground beef from July to August went up and your sirloin steaks went down. So to me what that's kind of saying is that people are looking for it, trying to buy more ground beef because of the value of it compared to buying steaks. And so I think that trend is going to continue as people feel the crunch of inflation and they're going to be looking for the, the cheaper meat cuts. So I think the demand for ground beef will stay there and I think that will keep your cold cow value up a little higher. Um, so anyways, I think it's important just to kind of look at those things uh, and, and try to forecast good decisions based on what you're paying for hay, what you have for hay. Understand you may be feeding hay longer two months you know if you normally we were talking if you normally graze through December um, and then start feeding hay I really think the conditions the way they look you a lot of you're gonna start feeding the first of November I mean there's nothing left so you got at least a month there and then because these pastures are so beat up right now you can expect them to not come back as fast next spring so you may be looking at an extra 30 to 60 days of hay feeding this winter. So do your inventories, make sure you got plenty, um, and, and roll on through that away. I mentioned emergency crops. What in the world is an emergency crop? Well, typically what we would be thinking about is something like uh, in the fall, we would throw down some oats, two, three bushel of oats to the acre, let the rain hit it, because oats are the most rapid growing cereal grain we got. They will produce more tonnage in the fall than wheat or rye will. But the problem is, is it takes what? It takes water, rain. And so, you know, when you put these things together, we always throw emergency crops in there as a potential. Um, but I just don't see a lot of opportunity for them this year. We're getting too late in the year. All right. Try to think about getting an estimate on weights on hay if you're buying it. And, and, and don't buy hay on the roll if you can, can keep from it. And the reason for that is you've got a huge variability, and this is some work that was done um, in Wisconsin. I've had another slide in here that was done by a colleague of ours in the south um, down in Texas. But you got a 4x4 four four here of grass and legume hay. Look at the difference in weight between that grass and, and that legume hay. Okay, and so if you're looking at that and then coming out here, what in the world happened? They flip-flopped when you get to five-by-fives. Why in the world did that happen? It shouldn't happen. But it could be a difference in the baler and a four-by-four four baler style that was used. It could be a difference in quality. If you've got late-cut 
fescue hay that was cut into June. You got that big old stem on there. It's hollow, right? And so it's not going to be as dense and as heavy as a late May cut hay that you're not going to have as much stem in and it's going to wrap up a little bit tighter. So, so don't assume all these 4x5, five, 5x5 five five bales are going to weigh the exact same of what your bales have weighed. Make sure you buy your hay on a weight basis because there's a lot of variation. In their work up there, they found a difference of up to 200 pounds per bale coming out of the same baler and the same field with the same operator. 200 pounds of bale difference. So did you get into a rush and throw it up a gear and go a little faster where you were bailing uh, not as tight of bales or did you slow her down because you were going through the ditch area and the bales got a little denser? Some of those things potentially can impact that. And then when they did a, an act guess, you know, we do this at field days, we'll say everybody guess the weight of a bale. Um, when they looked at what the farmers guessed it as, they missed the weight by 130 pounds when guessing. And you want to know something that's even better than that? All the extension specialists that guessed it did worse than the farmers. <laughs> so we don't know nothing. So the, the point on that, though, is, is just understand that it's really hard to guess the actual weight of a bale. So try to buy your hay on a weight basis. Remember that hay spoilage from the outside inward. And then also, these things are just wicks. And so whatever moisture is going to come and hit that bale that doesn't get absorbed in that outer area drains down this way and it gets down here and it just begins to go up into the bale that way. So try to think about getting your bales in an area that will drain. Rock, tires, telephone poles, just get them up off the ground so they don't get as much damage. In this five and a half foot bale, this outer six inches represents a third of the weight of the bale because it's a bigger circumference to go around. And if you're gonna have spoilage on hay that sets outside uncovered, four to six inches of spoilage from now until February, if we get a lot of normal rainfall, wouldn't be uncommon. Um, if you've got nylon kind of net wrap, it's less. It sheds water better than twine. Uh, but just kind of keep, keep in the back of your mind that if you've got hay stored outside, Think about getting it up off the ground. Think about getting it covered somehow to try and minimize that waste. Here's just the numbers. Uh, these are old, old numbers looking at up to nine months of storage. Because when you think about nine months, if you've got hay that was baled in May, June, that's going to be coming out in the February, March type of a window. If you got it on the ground, 15 to 20% were the numbers that were look, kind of looked at back then. If you go down here and it's covered, you cut that severe down about half. If you get it up off the ground, you really reduce the waste. And if you throw it in under roof. And the biggest thing is, is don't think about tarps as being expensive because you can buy some pretty cheap tarps anymore. We have bought those old used billboard tarps. They're not as good as a hay tarp, but they cost about half. And you'll, if you take care of them, you'll get two to three years out of them. Um, and so there are some ways to, to try to reduce that cost if you're looking at a short term. Those, those billboard tarps you can also get in different sizes. So if you've got short kind of stacks that you're going to put in different areas, you can usually find a different size of tarp that you don't have to waste as much money on a huge um, hay tarp. 
So there's, there's some options for you to think about trying to get it covered and keep your costs down. So that's a lot of good, timely information from Dr. Lem Cooler. I uh, appreciate him letting us use that. Uh, if you uh, have any questions about any of that stuff, feel free to contact uh, your local county extension office. Uh, I know that's just a topic that's on a lot of people's minds because it has been dry. And as we talked about earlier, the grass just really struggling and maybe not there as, as much as we think it is. And it's, you know, with, with that being said, there's people already feeding hay. Yeah. Right now. And that's, you know, a month and a half earlier than a lot of people probably like to, you know, a lot of times we try to make it to December if we can, but then or at least Thanksgiving, you know, it would be nice, but it's just seems like we're in the hay earlier. And so if you can find some to buy or if you need to buy some, I'd be getting it now. I think uh, Dr. Lim Cooler mentioned that. And that's probably one of the best pieces of advice he had that would be very timely. Hey, I think we've used this before, but you just named a good song choice for the week if we don't have anything. I, okay, we'll get it. We'll, okay. we'll we'll get to that later. Yeah, so we talked about earlier about how the dry weather is uh, started or kind of sped up harvest or let us keep going on harvest, but it's come with some concerns too. Uh, I know I woke up this morning to a alert on my phone that said like fire warning. I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there red was flag a red flag warning. warning, but there was also. It was fire warning or like a fire watch or something. So, so it, it, yeah, it was so windy. But this was for the rest of the week. It was a big part of it. So fire weather watch. Right. Yeah. Low humidity. Mm-hmm. Red flag warning and a fire weather watch. Well, because of winds from 15 to 20 mile an hour with gusts to 30 to 35. Uh, Friday, 15 to 20 with mm-hmm. gusts of 30 to 40 and minimum relative humidities of 20 to 25%. So what's that mean for those harvesting? Uh, just be careful Gotta... and watch what you're doing. <laughs> yes. Because if there was a spark that yes. landed in any of this stuff, then it would take off quick. And I think that's what those warnings are, are mainly about is that if there was going to be a fire or if somebody was to light a fire that, it could get out of control really quick and probably burn several acres. And it's kind of like, do y'all remember probably five or six years ago, the, the Gatlinburg fire, the fires in the Smokies. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it Mm -hmm. was kind of similar situation. They were extremely dry, extremely low humidity. And there was a fire that was lit and it literally spread like wildfire, wildfire. Mm -hmm. So we've started harvest here in the last week or 10 days or so. Uh, and I've noticed it's been dry enough that the fodder on the corn's extremely dry and it piles up on everything. Uh, yesterday, the wind was so strong. I blew the combine off in the morning, had it clean. When I, when we quit or got halfway rained out last night, it was, uh, there wasn't any more on it than when we started. I mean, there was enough wind coming along to keep that, keep the trash blown off the combine. So maybe in, in that way, it could, be a little bit of a help that you're not getting that dry fodder uh, piled up around places where you could maybe start a fire on the machine. Yeah. And I, I thought the wind yesterday morning was kind of going to be an indicative of the rain we were going to get, but you know, wouldn't, wasn't so lucky with that, but you're right. It's windy and it's going to be windy for the next few days. So just make sure you keep all your fire extinguishers and things like that yeah. on hand. If and, you can. Uh, We've talked some about field fires and, and combine fires and stuff. Uh, just a little bit of a PSA 
uh, for people in Hardin County, and I think this is probably the case in other counties too. Uh, one of our local farm supply stores in Cecilia has some water tanks actually stationed in different areas of the county uh, and put a notice out on Facebook the other day that if uh, that if you have an issue or have a fire or whatever, here's where they are, go hook to them and get them. Uh, I think there's one at the old ball farm on 1375, kind of in that, uh, what would you call that, Daniel? Stevensburg area. Mm-hmm. Uh, one on 1600 in Rineville, uh for people in the north end of the county. And then I think they've got one or two sitting full there at the store in Cecilia. Uh, and I'm sure some of the other stores are are doing the same. They may not have them stationed around the county like that, but they've probably got some sitting full at the store if, if uh, you get in a situation where you think you need it. So good to keep in mind if you have a, a tank like that uh, of your own, then it may not be a bad idea to keep it full and keep it somewhere close where you can go hook to it if needed to. So. Uh, could save something from from spreading pretty rapidly. So changing topics a little bit, I was going to talk a little bit about something I had some questions about this week. So I had the information handy. I figured we could chat about it. Um, have y'all ever eaten persimmons from a persimmon tree? No. Yes. Tell me about the first time you had one. Did you say you never had one, Matt? Never had one. What? It was pretty good. I had it. We were hunting and, you know, that's just kind of, they were there and my dad was like, here, try this. You, you ever had one? And I was like, no, obviously I haven't. I was a kid and it was pretty good. It was sweet. Your all stories are better than mine. Was yours? So I was uh, chopping out tobacco for a guy and his, he has a son, he had a son a year or two older than me. And we were on the, uh, riding on a wagon to the field and, uh, we went by a persimmon tree and he reached up and he grabbed some. And he said, you ever had persimmons before? I said, no, I haven't. And he said, oh, here you go. And this is like the first time I ever had like a paycheck. This was like the first time I ever did any kind of uh, tobacco work or anything. I was probably 12 or 13, maybe. I don't remember. But anyway, what I do remember is I bit into that daggone persimmon. And oh, my God, I still remember what it tastes like to this day. You don't eat those (laughs) things till it freezes. Okay. Because they're they're, not. not, not It's I think what do they call it? Like, um, astringent, like when it just takes all the moisture out of you, like it just, the, as soon as you bite into it, all the moisture in your mouth is gone <laughs> and it's just awful. And it was a hot day. And I've just, I will, I've to, I mean, I haven't eaten a, eaten a persimmon. So since, did he know this? Even if they are good. Oh yeah, he knew it. That's why he had me try it. Well, and it's kind of like a banana before it's ripe. It's kind of what I attribute it. It's like a kind of a it just doesn't have, it just has a really, really bitter, nasty taste. I don't know. I can eat green bananas. I don't know that I, Ooh, I can't stand something mm. sucking all the moisture out of my mouth. I'd almost eat a nasty persimmon before I'd eat a green <laughs> banana. <laughs> but this time of year, uh, persimmons are kind of popular. It's a very good food source for wildlife. A lot of people make jams and jellies and pies. desserts and puddings mm-hmm. and pies from persimmons, and it's really good. But the main thing is you don't want to get them till it freezes. So, you know, if that's something that you're into, now's a good time to to find those. I have a few persimmon trees on my farm and uh, and and the deer frequent the area pretty, pretty regularly. Here's some did you know stuff. Did you know that the champion persimmon tree is in Ballard County and is over 75 feet tall? That's a big, that's a lot of persimmon. What makes it the champion? Big persimmon tree. 
it's the biggest one. Oh, okay. so they, they it's mostly it's height, but I think there's a a width pers- width uh, width measurement to that too. But yeah, there's there's um, a lot of there's actually I think there's a place where you could look up to see where all the champion trees are, and they have you can find like where the biggest each type of tree is in the state. So is that like the world champion? Kentucky or the state? It's just Kentucky. Kentucky state champion. Yeah. Okay. There used okay. to be the uh, champion beech tree in Hancock County. I don't know if it's still that way or not, but there used to be. I laid eyes on it once. Uh, persimmons are pretty common in this part of the state because it does well with uh, low fertility soils, uh, dry soils that, you know, we, we won't see it around crop fields a lot, but a lot of our pasture fields and, and uh, some of the, you know, rougher parts of, uh, I say rougher, uh, thinner soiled areas in Hardin County and, and LaRue County will, will have a lot of persimmons and uh you know a lot of people like them for the wildlife perspective i don't i just assume not have deer they always take out my electric fence when they're trying to go eat their persimmons so i just assume not but anyway if uh just kind of a we don't talk about that kind of stuff on here a lot but just figured it was a good timely thing and also if you want to cut them open right now this is the time you cut them open and see if it's a spoon or a uh uh, knife knife. is that what it is a spoon or a knife Mm mm-hmm because if it's a spoon, what is that supposed to mean? You're going to shovel a lot of snow. Yeah. And if it's a knife, it's going to be bitter cold. Have we ever tested that? I, don't know. I mean, I don't so know. What if, so it's so every winter is going to be bitter cold and or you're going to shovel a lot of snow. There's no warm winters. I don't know. I'm sure there's – I could look it up. There's something. There's a wives' tale that explains it. Yeah, something know. about if it's a spoon and it's – yeah. There's Well, I have some more did you know while you're looking that up. But okay. – um it used to be what they used to use persimmons for. They would make tea with it, like with the for they're ripe. And I guess something about all the tannins and like the stuff that make, takes the moisture out of your mouth. But it used to like treat uh, sore throat with that, which ugh, I, you think cough syrup tastes bad. That has to be awful. And then uh, they would use it to treat warts and cancer and heartburn and diarrhea and stomach aches. It seems like a lot, a, a wide range of things that you would treat uh, with persimmon tea. It's also very black wood. I think it's decent firewood, and I think it has a decent aroma to it, too, if you were to use it for firewood. But um, it's very black wood, and they use it to make uh, billiard cues, golf club heads, and dark-colored flooring. Billiards. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, billiards. I never call it billiards. I call it pool. Oh, pool. <laughs> but I don't know where the billiard – I don't I – don't, I, that seems too fancy to call it billiards. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so according to Dr. Google, a fork means a mild winter. A spoon mm. means there will be a lot of snow, and a knife is the winter is going to be bitingly or bitterly cold, cutting it like a knife. Well, that <laughs> makes sense. Now, I think this year they found the spoon. Am I right? Is that what I've I've been seeing? On? I don't know. I think you're you're. I think it's very by oh, it's, the chance because there's you're right. thousands of persimmons on a tree and you know you cut up you could probably have different just depending on what you get it's just one of those funny things to do and to Mm -hmm. you know show your kids or do something like that you might look like a genius and then if you don't then who's going to remember right right so that's your persimmon tree facts of the week speaking of back in the day talking about some of those persimmon uh treatments and ailments or bruise or whatever i saw a report that showed uh dairy demand is at its highest since 1959 mm-hmm. would you do you believe that like does that seem right so i saw an article or something about it the other day that uh 
they were basically saying it was mainly butter and cheese. Mm-hmm. Well, those charcuterie boards. And and that was part boards. of the reason. <laughs> well, and apparently now there's butter boards. S- the new craze is a butter board. Yeah. Yeah. And they were they were attributing a lot of it to uh, trends with millennials. Because now butter like is good. That like real butter is good good now. So and these higher fat diets that people are trying out, you know, so you can I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of butter and whole milk and real cream in my coffee. Now yeah. I don't know if that's a millennial trend or whatever generation I'm supposed to be in, but well I, and so I talked with a neighbor this week that works in the dairy industry as well and and he was talking about milk prices had been up and and it was basically butter and cheese driving it he said it's like it's getting to a point where it's hard to get rid of fluid milk hmm. like fluid milk sales are way down but the the butter and cheese side is way yeah up. and i think it was this news thing that i saw did say that too fluid consumption has has continued to slow decline but you know i think there's also a driving thing where i think milk even though it's a slow decline it really is probably a slower decline than i would have thought because mm-hmm. I, I mean agree. there's just so many options out there um, you know, it used to be back in 1959, there wasn't much else, you know, you drank milk or you drank water and the water probably wasn't always the best. And, <laughs> you know, or there's Pepsi and stuff, I'm sure around then, but, uh, it was more expensive at that time, probably than milk, but, um, it's still, a, you know, it's a, a clean product that, you know, is healthy and has, you know, valuable calories that aren't empty calories. And I still think there's a lot, a lot of people that, you know, my family included that we drink a lot of milk. But I also know people that I'm related to that don't drink any milk at all and haven't for a long time. They just, I don't know. Some people are just have, are set in their ways, I guess. I don't really drink it. Do you like sit down and drink a glass of milk? So I I, I use it as an excuse to eat cookies. Oh. Because I figure if I. Why do you ever need an excuse to eat cookies? Well, I mean, you got to make it like, I have to have reasons for what I do. And so like, if I can say that eating cookies is healthy because I drink more milk, which gives me more calcium that gives me healthy bones, then, you know, I can eat more cookies. We eat a lot of cheese. That's where we get our dairy consumption. Yogurt, cheese. And we're eating a lot of cheese. And and I think we've talked about that on here before. My cheese, my cheese, my cheese trends are trending. Cheese snob. Yeah. Yeah. Now we like, I mean, honestly, if I'm, my kids will drink milk, you know, when they were younger, especially the older they are now, I've, I've tried to actually make my son who I'm trying to get to, you know, he goes so much and he doesn't eat a whole lot, you know, we're dealing with that, but he, I'll try to get him to drink milk after he gets home from practice or wherever we're at. And more times than not, he's putting some chocolate in it, (laughs) but at least he's drinking it. I don't really, I don't really sit down and drink like a glass of. Of milk, but like I'll put milk on my cereal bowl of cereal mm-hmm. every morning. For I could sit down and drink chocolate milk. Yeah, oh, I well, can and too. I can do that too. Yeah, and like if I'm stopping at a gas station in the morning for something, you better believe I'm walking out of there with a bottle of chocolate mm-hmm. milk. But and chocolate milk, I mean, chocolate milk kind of has a place. A lot of people use it like if they're working out as a recovery drink because it has mm-hmm. a blend of protein and sugar. Yeah, that's what stuff. I'm making so like, him do. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's um, you know. The, there's, it's, it's there's, good for, I there's mean, it's, research that says that that's better than Gatorade and better than, you know, that's one of the best recovery drinks you can have is milk. Yeah. And I mean, was, what if it's got a little chocolate in it? If that gets you to drink it, then so be it, you know? So. And I know like when I grew, when I was younger, I can remember like drinking Gatorade and thinking it was good for me. 
it ain't good for me. It's, it's awful. full of sugar. I know. It is bad. And I don't, I try not to let my kids drink it. Yeah. Um, unless it's sugar free. But even then it's like, what is, what are they, what are they using? You know, I mean, Water I drink Diet Coke and I'm all about artificial yeah. sweetener, but, um, but you know, I don't, yeah. you know, it's, I just, I don't know. It's weird, but Gatorade anyway. has a place, but it's not in everything. So I'm kind of like, like I said, I'm, we're trying to do a little bit more of the milk and the water and, you know, those types of things. So y'all getting much soul samples in right now? No, they're starting to trickle in, but you, people can't get the probes in the, ground. Yeah. in the ground. I've, I've kind of wondered, I, and I've actually made a few phone calls to some people that brought some samples in because I could, you can kind of tell sometimes when it's only topsoil and they don't get down in there and get it. So if you can't get, three to four inches in the ground. It's not, don't take a soil sample right now. It's not going to give you good information. Um, and there's also some studies that if you're like a really wanting to get everything really accurate um, with it being as dry as it is, you may not get very accurate readings either on Lowers some of your, your potash. Your K level. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, your you potassium levels may potassium levels. show lower than they really are. And yeah. with fertilizer prices, what they are, you don't want to do that. Right. Uh, you want to make sure you get the right amount. So um uh, I kind of affects pH too, doesn't it? I think so. I think there's something to that. So if you're, if you're, if you can, you know, if you've got, you know, worked ground or something, maybe that you can get it in, or, you know, uh, there may be some fields here and there that you can, that you can get sampled. But if you can't, if you can't get that thing in the ground, I would, I would wait. I would hold off till we get some moisture. I've been trying to drive T post and my head's still ringing. <laughs> yeah. I, I can could imagine. imagine trying to get a soul probe in the ground. Don't you have a bobcat skid steer? Mm-hmm. Just drive them with the. We use a tractor bucket. bucket. You don't know how many. But then you post I've ruined. Yeah. Right. You just got to be careful with it. You got to finesse it. See, at my place, when you do it, you hit a rock. Well, well, my place. And now yes. T posts, which a year ago were four dollars, now they're five. Yeah. That adds up quick. Yeah, yeah. Five years ago, they were like a dollar seventy-five. Mm-hmm. We should have bought thousands and thousands of uh-huh. them and stored them, and then we could sell them and make a killing right now. <laughs> Black market. T-post. I had a pretty good. I had a pretty good supply of used ones at one time in my barn, but they've pretty well gotten mm-hmm. gotten used up the last couple of years. All right. Uh, I know one thing that I think most of our counties offer is hay testing. And that was another mm-hmm. thing that I don't think made the cut when Dr. Lemkuler was talking, but it is a good idea to test your hay this year uh, to make sure that you're feeding the right hay at the right time. And uh, um, just there, I think the hay should be in pretty good shape for the most part this year, but I know there's been some concern about how much we have, which I think a lot of that's gotten better with the later cuttings, uh, maybe being a little better than a lot, what a lot of people thought, but still good idea to get that hay tested and uh, contact your local extension office for, for more information on that. Uh, events that are coming up, Beef Bash, October 20th at Princeton. Um, contact your extension office for more information on that. I know they'll have a lot of topics they're going to talk about there. Uh, what else, y'all? Um, uh, grazing grazing conference, conference, the 26th. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Look for, that's another thing, contact your local extension agent Yes, and, uh, for more information. Yeah, and it's one of them is in my county, and you can contact right, me. Right, the one on October yeah. 26th. And, and, yeah. I, and we actually, if you can't fill out the registration online or you want to, you know, do it over the, you know, call me because if you can't do it online and we can, we can work out, work something out with you. 
and go from there. I've had a few folks call and ask about that. So don't let that limit you from coming if that's a, if that's a barrier. Another thing is uh, Kentucky Beef Conference. That's actually coming up October the 17th. So by, if you're listening to this on the radio, you need to, uh, you know, contact as soon as possible because it'll be in the evening of the 17th. And that is an online registration as well and a webinar. If you can't actually, there will be an in-person option, but that's in Lexington. So I think most folks around here, if you can't get there, you can watch it online. And you know, there's, I think Dr. Lim Cooler is part of that presentation as well that evening. Uh, we need a song. And I want to give you my ideas for a song. All right. What were the country hits from 1959? The last time dairy was oh, was in demand like, like it is now. There's several, some, there's a song we've used before. I think White Lightning was in 1959. Hmm. And the song that was number one that year, I actually heard not too long ago, and it just kind of it, it struck me. Uh, but Waterloo by Stonewall Jackson, you know that? Yeah, I've heard that song. Never heard it. Mm-hmm. You know what else is on there? A song we talked about a couple weeks ago. What? The Battle of New Orleans. Oh yeah, yeah, we did talk about it, about that a few weeks ago. Johnny Horton. We got got pointed out that that's who originally sang that song, not the Wolf Brothers. Uh-huh. Whitney, did you ever hear the Wolf Brothers? Did they come to your? School? Yes, they did. Whitney knows. Yes, the Wolf Brothers. yeah. I remember them. Man, that's a only the real the ones. The real ones know the Wolf Brothers, <laughs> right? right? You got to be a real one to know oh, the Wolf my Brothers. Goodness. They apparently made it all the way to Washington County too, so they basically okay. they're, worldwide. they're world travelers. Worldwide, man. That's that is that was a, and I always look forward worldwide. to that. They came to us several times, and that I always enjoyed enjoyed them as a kid. Marty Robbins, El Paso. That's the other one I saw too. So we're we're gonna play one of the 1959 hits. I'm I'm going for Waterloo. That's a, I'm that's going a good one. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see who wins. We'll see who wins out. All right, y'all. Well, that's that's all we got for this week. See y'all next week. See ya. See ya.